This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. Given its critical mission, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs has to have an exemplary IT organization to provide the highest level of service to veterans. IT is a key enabler to the largest integrated healthcare system in the U.S., a benefits processing organization equivalent to a medium-sized insurance company, and one of the largest integrated memorial and cemetery organizations in the country, and many other components. VA's Office of Information and Technology is at a critical inflection point. Persistent internal challenges exist in delivering IT services, and external pressures are compelling OINT to change, adapt, and transform. This transformation seeks to establish a strong technical foundation that ensures alignment with VA's mission, data visibility, and accessibility. Throughout this transformation, VA's number one priority must be the veteran, ensuring a safe and secure environment for their information and improving their experience. What is the VA's IT strategy? How is VA changing the way it does business? And what about VA's buy first strategy? We will explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Laverne Council, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Laverne, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here, Mike. Also joining us from IBM is Nicole Gartner. Nicole, welcome back as always. Oh, thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. So, Laverne, before we uh, begin talking about initiatives uh, that you're pursuing, could you give us a brief overview of the history and mission of the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, VA? Sure, sure. It's um, the, the VA was really created far back than most people even realize. You know, we, we certainly are part of Lincoln's um, objective to bore the, the, to help those that were in the Civil War and the widows and the children that they left behind. But if you think about the veteran and the veteran's pension actually started at Washington and his understanding that those that really bore the burden of protecting us and, and fighting for us really should expect some level of um, remediation of, of what they've done. I, from my vantage point, when I look at the Veteran Affairs Group, um, we provide health care, which many people hear about, but most people don't realize we're also the largest integrated health care system in the country um, and support 8 million veterans uh, on average about 240,000 actions a day in health care. Um, the benefit side of us, or what is called Veteran Benefits Administration, is actually, I would say, the equivalent of a medium-sized insurance company providing everything from um, compensation and pension support um, if people are disabled, making sure that they receive remediation for that, but also all the things that we relate to the GI Bill, more 
mortgages um, and educational support, et cetera. So a large tranche of work there. We also have the uh, National Cemetery Group, which is the largest of its kind um, and may manage a number of large cemeteries around the country. Um, myself personally being the child and children of many people in the, uh, that are veterans, about 60% of the men in my family are veterans, including my, my dad, my stepdad, and my father-in-law, um, who all utilized uh, the the honor guard and, and the process that was um, given to them. And I can tell you they do a great job. But in addition, uh, we also have what we call our corporate functions, which are the normal things, finance, HR, supply chain. And so it is a about 400,000 employee organization, uh, one of the largest agencies within the federal government. And, and the focus is to make sure that we meet the mission. And the mission is to support our veterans and those that have taken care of us. And I take that very seriously. And so when I received the call, I said, there's nothing more I can do. And I'm more than happy to support it. So um, now that you've told us a little bit more about the VA, let's talk about your role in your specific area. Can you give us some overview of your responsibilities and your duties as the assistant secretary? Well, I'm the uber guru of all things that I have to do with <laughs> information technology. Yes, it's, it's a new one. I make it up, the Uber. Um, but I'm the assistant secretary and chief information officer uh, for Veteran Affairs. And in that role, um, I'm responsible for about 8,000 employees, 8,000 contractors. 56% of those folks are veterans. Um, I manage an appropriation of a little over $4 billion and really in support of all the areas that I mentioned to you. Um, my objective and the objective that I have every day is to think about how we're going to change that veteran's experience, how we're going to make it easier for the folks that support them to utilize technology in doing that, and also ensuring that we are secure uh, with, with their information um, as well as our employee information. It is a full-time, full-time job. Um, technology is a core part of everybody's lives today. And so with all the things that come with that, including what I call the consumerization of IT, because they have it at home, you know, people want it at work. And so IT always has to be looking at the new new, but in this case, looking at it for the veteran and, and thinking about what can we do to give them access and to their information and make it seamless to them when they come to the VA for benefits. So what's the, uh, say, three top management challenges for the Uber guru? <laughs> I think probably the, 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 the biggest one is um, working culture. That's always the hardest. And what I mean by that is uh, just because you have the drive and we all come for the mission, reminding people why they, they come for the mission and why change is okay, it's good, it won't hurt you. Um, and, and especially in IT, which is, the, as we all know, a new science when you think about it. I always remind people that if you just think about 30 years ago, certain things didn't even exist. You know, the idea that you would even walk around with your own cell phone was almost unheard of. That was something everyone didn't have access to. So technology changes lives. And we we have to be open on a cultural basis to change. And so that's one of the big issues. I think the second is to ensure that we're using all the resources provided to us to our best of our abilities. And you might say, well, that shouldn't be hard. Well, it is if you're not really aware of what all you have available to you. 
And if you're not also engaged and knowing that it's okay for you to use them. So empowering the employee is something that I've really focused on and ensuring that they know who they are and that they have these rights. And so we've started a We the People campaign, um, which is an uh, employee task force campaign. That, and they're really out there saying, we, we, we're the ones. We can do this. Um, because I think empowerment is really important, especially today when people sometimes think they can't make the decision. Um, I'm just there to remind them that they can and and I think the third thing is is you know this role requires that I have a a line into the hill um, and because it is a separate appropriation and people want to know what's happening with technology, but also that there is a strong pull into what we have to do um, to the White House as a presidential appointee, um, and then to the resources within the VA. So you end up really thinking about what the right things to do, who you need to tell what. So communication is everything in in my business Um, and making sure that I'm communicating well, often, and accurately. And so it is a constant. It's it's something I think every leader has to do. And um, in this role, it's really a requirement. Wow. Well, when we think about the breadth of your experience, and you talked about the number of people and the budget, now um, really these significant areas of change and challenge that you just talked about, there's always surprises. There's always things that are unanticipated. What are some of, what's the biggest surprise that you've had as, as you're now in your role for a little while? Wow. Um, I have to think about that. Was it a surprise or was it? it I, I think, you know, as, as I've done this role, it's been interesting. What has surprised me as, as an American citizen, you know, and, and uh, to be called a civilian itself is an interesting conversation, but um, is, is just how much opportunity we have in the government to do the things that we could do. I think it surprised me that um, we sometimes are not taking full use of that. Um, I, I, you know, you you would hope and you think that you know it's a big corporation that the U.S. government is, but you're you're always hoping that there's things that they know they that you know that they can do that they're doing, and I think sometimes um, we don't leverage as much of what I think we would be leveraging from private as well as within the government. Because there's so much that private industry has taken from the government and leveraged very quickly, but I don't necessarily see it being reciprocal. And I think that's a surprise for me. So that's a an, good segue to the next question, which is you have a tremendous benefit of the perspective that you bring to your role. Let's talk a little bit about your background, what led you to where you are today? Could you give us a, just a little history of Laverne and and uh, how you got where you are? The story as we know it, as my husband calls me, the unicorn. Um, the, the, the fact is I, I never saw myself in federal uh, employ. Um, one, because, you know, I'd been in private industry at, 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 for a long time. 30 years of my life has been spent um, working on global missions, living in Europe for a couple of years, um, really driving um, global supply trains and technology. Um, I was a partner at Ernst & Young. Um, I then went to Dell and, and focused in high tech. Uh, my background is primarily high tech, um, telecom, 
um, and pharmaceutical. And you might say, what do I all have to do with supply chain? Well, the concept is because they're so intense on capital, um, it allows you to have a competitive advantage through free cash flow. So I was one of those kinds of people. Um, and then I got the call to join J&J, and I was their youngest officer and the first person that ever was recruited from the outside as an officer. Um, and I was their first global CIO. And the objective was to take the uh, 250 operating companies in 57, across 57 countries and make that a global entity for IT. Um, and I'm proud to say that happened. Um, we put in two different strategies while I was there. And as a change agent, uh, one of the things I've always known about myself is I'm good for about 36 to 48 months of anything. <laughs> Beyond that, it's like, okay, you can maintain. I need to go create. And so um, I started my own organization, and it allowed me a great deal of creativity because then I could look at other people's problems and, and think about how to solve them and do it in a way that allowed them to leverage everything that I had learned. Um, but in November of 2014, yes, I received a call. And the call was about this opportunity and the need. And it was the first time I think I truly got a call up. And I truly understood how our veterans feel when they take the call or when they sign up or when they show up. And um, it was an interesting decision. It was a family decision. Uh, my, I have a son who's now 18 and, and my husband and he says, you know, everything you've done has prepared you for this. This is the right thing to do, um, you know, and it's time to serve. And so that's how I look at it. This is my time to serve. Um, but there was nothing that quite could prepare me for, for some of the nuanced differences. But I would also tell you that everything that I've known, everything that I've ever done, I've been able to leverage, and I'm real proud of that. That's a great segue because I, I want to get a sense of your leadership style and your leadership principles as, as you apply them. So could you give us a sense of what are your key, what makes an effective leader? And more importantly, uh, what leadership lessons have you learned through your private sector experiences that you've brought to VA? It's, it's been really interesting because the first thing I did when entering into VA was talk about the true principles of, of, of what we had to be and what we would consider our key principles, which was transparency, accountability, innovation, and teamwork. Um, I find that those are critical uh, responses and principles and characteristics of good leaders, by the way. Um, leaders that are transparent and accountable um, will we'll share what needs to be shared, and they'll do it in a way that allows other people to embrace the mission but also feel included. I think good leaders have a strong to tend to have a strong leaning toward innovation. They're not afraid of new, um, and they're also not afraid to learn. Um, I think great leaders are always in learning mode. Uh, any leader that stops learning, I think, creates a real gap for their organization and also creates an opportunity not to have a challenge brought to them. Um, in addition, um, as a, key, a good leader, I always think that you have to have a strong sense of team, um, that you have to value that either amongst yourself as other leaders or also being a part of the team when the team needs you. 
Um, for me, myself, my natural position is coach. Um, I like influencing. I like knowing that I have something to do with something. Um, but it doesn't matter if I'm the one on the front line or not. Um, I, I think what coaches do is, is sort of push you to places that you may not have thought you could go. Um, knowing that you may not get exactly where they're asking to go, but you're going to go further than you thought you could. And they take great pride in watching people grow and watching people improve and watching people take chances and risk, knowing that you have their back and knowing that, you know, they can fail fast and fail forward. Um, I find that great leaders understand that. Great leaders support trying Um, And great leaders know how to take a failure and make a success out of it. What is VA's IT strategy? We will ask its chief information officer, Laverne Council, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Laverne Council, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Also joining us from IBM is Nicole Gartner. You've pointed out when you took the the reins of VA's Office of Information and Technology that it was at a critical inflection point, so much so that you've crafted a whole new IT strategy. And I'd like to talk more about that. Could you outline your vision for the office? But more importantly, what are your key priorities and strategic goals it, it was really interesting, you know, as a political appointee and, frankly, as someone who only had about 18 months of time, um, the, the, the ideal recommendation was that you come in and you figure out how to do one or two things and you make those one or two things happen and, you, you know, you say your goodbyes. Um, when I um, joined the VA, as I started looking at the organization, thinking about what was needed for the veteran and also thinking about what do you do when an organization's in crisis? And I've managed a number of crisis kinds of situations before. Um, it, it really came through loud and clear. I'm not going to be able to do the two projects. Um, this is, it, for me to feel good about this time and for me to feel good about this leadership opportunity, I've got to do something that I was hoping I wouldn't have to, which is transform the organization. Um, and it was an interesting uh, conversation I had with myself <laughs> um, to say, come on, do you really want to do this? And at the end of the day, it, the only thing I could do was that. Um, it was the right thing. It's the right thing to do for the veteran. It's the right thing to do for the organization, to the, for the employees. And, and so we embarked upon it. And the first thing that we focused on was our enterprise cybersecurity strategy. We defined a new cybersecurity strategy. We did it within um, – it had a 90-day mandate. We did it in 60 days. Um, we did it with the employee set across eight new domains, including privacy and medical cyber and 
I really feel strongly that it's provided the team and the leadership with understanding what they're capable of doing, but also what our opportunities are. And the team has rallied around that and really making great progress with eliminating our material weakness. Um, Today, um, the IT organization is considered a material weakness by our auditors. And um, by the end of 2017, if we, the team stays on path, we will eliminate that. And that's what we're playing for. I think secondarily, the, the, the next concern I had was how do I ensure that this team can continue down the path of transformation once I'm no longer with it? And, you know, that requires a very strong framework, a way that people can think about their work, the way that they can repeat their work. And so we deployed a new mission, new vision, um, supported by the four principles that I mentioned to you earlier, um, but also a technical alignment as well as a set of key project alignment. And I needed to figure out something that was simple. And the simple was giving people a time frame to think about the work that we need to do. And the time frame was now near future. So now is in six months or less. Near was six to 18 months. And future was 18 or more, 18 to 36 months, actually. And the concept there is so that the team would always understand that in order to move something forward, you've got to think about what you need to do now. So if there's something we really want to have done in the future, and that future is 18 to 36 months, then what do I need to do now? What do I need to do near? And putting those things in place so we're always making forward progress. Um, it, it, it's simple. Uh, it requires you to sort of think about things differently. And I'm proud to say that many leaders in the team, as well as our employees that really have grabbed onto it as a way to think about any problems that we have, Okay, if I want to have this eliminated in the near term, what do I need to do now? How many people do I need? What resources do I need? Um, and, and that was critical. In addition to laying the framework out, guess what? We added five new functions. Um, and, and I increased the leadership team by 25%. Um, so five new functions in any organization is a big lift, um, and and that says there's no different in, in the VA. But we added uh, an enterprise uh, a portfolio management organization or EPMO. Um, it is actually our control tower. Uh, making sure that the work is intaked properly, that the benefits are attributed to it, that we use true agile capability, and that we drive state-of-the-art technology into the environment. And when it is no longer state-of-the-art, that we take it out of the environment. Um, then that that's, those solutions are secure and that they're well-developed. Um, in addition, we also added a new data management function. We did not have an enterprise data management function. It's critical. Um, we have some of the best um, electronic health record information in the world, um, but we also have what I consider family tools, which is the veterans information. And so we're putting in an enterprise data management function to manage that. Um, in addition, we added an account management function. And the account managers are our way of collaborating with our business partners. It was not clear how people got work done. And we wanted to put a face to that. We wanted to put an executive to that. 
And so the account management office is an interesting concept because there are actually account managers that align to each of the business leads, but also there are customer relationship managers that we put out in the field, and they actually work across all the groups. So they would visit VHA, VBA, NCA locations, really look for best practices, really look for issues. They're there to make sure that our service arm is doing what it needs to do, um, but also create a loop back into the leadership if something is happening that's innovative out in the field, that we can be fast adopters, but also if there's a problem, that we can also resolve them quicker. We actually supported that particular alignment with a knowledge management function um, to allow us to learn from what we see, um, to be able to leverage that on a national level. And that in itself is going to create a very different engine from what we've had before. Um, In addition to those three functions, we also added a quality and compliance group. Why quality and compliance? Well, quality and compliance is all about managing our risk and ensuring that we have a point of view about the the things that we are doing so that we have the right controls in place. Um, You can have auditors, but the key is you really need to police yourself first or ensure yourself first and, and make sure that Um, we're doing the things the way we intended to have them done. So the Q&C group will work with our privacy standards. Uh, We'll ensure that the 508 compliance, which are the needs for disabled um, and those that are working that have different needs are met, and that we're also ensuring that um, we're getting the benefits that we expect out of the work that we're doing. So it's exciting to have um, that new area come on. And then ultimately, we also want to move into a buy first. Um, there's a lot of custom development, and we really want to take advantage of some of the best and bright solutions that are out there. And so we're putting in a strategic sourcing function. That sourcing function is really to help us manage our categories, um, to plan early about what we want to buy, and to think about it in a different way. It will allow us to have more interface with many new solutions and vendors um, and not doing it right before you want to buy something because you can't legally do that. This way, we have a real capability of understanding what's out there and making sure that we stay abreast of it, but also that we're moving forward and using some of the best solutions available to the veteran. So um, you you described the um, Enterprise Program Management Office as the control tower. I, I really like that. Um, can you tell us just a little bit more about how that particular initiative supports the strategic objectives and how visibility and governance sort of play out in that environment? That's a great question because that area was was very new to the organization and it wears a number of hats. Um, One of the key things that it does as it relates to governance is our intake process. So we had a process called PMAS and PMAS was for its time, I think, a great process of getting people to understand what it takes to really do great development. But in so doing, it created a huge, huge set of overhead in the organization. Um, Our EPMO now is supported by what we call VIP. But the VIP now has taken that process down by 88%. 
Um, And it is increased. We were looking to increase our cycle time of process um, in a a much more aggressive way with agile capability. Um, and, And so... With fewer release calendars, now we only have one, one change calendar, and one process. That in itself is going to drive much more productivity um, and, and a different engagement with our business partners. Also, there's a high level of accountability in that process for assuring that our cybersecurity needs are met up front versus in the back end. They also will manage our dashboard which we will have available to the public so people can see exactly what we're doing, how we're doing, how well we're doing, but also our resources that do development. We're moving back into domain knowledge, um, ensuring that we really understand the core sets of things we need to as it relates to our business partners, and um, also that it always has a veteran-focused view. Um, The first question we're asking of anything that we're putting on a portfolio is, how does this change the veteran's experience? You know, how does this make it better? And and if it does, when will it do it? How can we ensure that that happens? So um, the EPMO is our governance body on that side of it. And I work closely, of course, with them. But they are they know they're 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 the front end and the back end at the end of the day. So uh, let me segue from the the VA, the veterans experience and the connection you just made. And there's an initiative called the My VA Initiative. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how IT enables that uh, program? Sure. Well, my VA was really one of the core catalysts for the new strategy. As, as I started looking at what my VA was about, which was really thinking through everything that we do with the veteran experience in mind, it said that we had to align. And we had to align to something that changed that veteran's experience, that also allowed every employee to be principle-based, not rule-based, and that we all had a sense of what it must feel like to be that veteran. Um, and how do we make that process easier for them? And how do we ensure that the information that we have is accurate, that is secure, that is easily usable into our systems? Um, that has really, to me, been the huge motivator. And one of the things that my VA and, and Secretary uh, McDonald have done, which I think is really um, exemplary of leadership is we have our Breakthrough 12 projects, which OINT, Office of Information and Technology, transformation is part of. But in addition to that, um, we as IT organization are linked with every other breakthrough project for everything from access to how we're enabling benefits, et cetera, is all tied and we're all tied to those, including um, our, our mobile process for veteransvets.gov, um, which is actually allows them to get access to their benefits and do things um, on mobile. And they don't have to necessarily be strapped to a computer. They can do it on their phone. Um, and it is actually leveraging agile processes. So they're getting it as it's developed. You know, we're not holding everything and waiting for the big reveal. Um, so it's a different way of seeing IT come to life. But frankly, that's much more cutting edge and really the way that we're ensuring that we're giving the veteran what they really need when they need it. So. Uh- you know, I was wondering, how are you strengthening the department's IT uh, capital investment process to ensure that it, the investment that you're making is uh, mission-aligned and cost-justified? And you mentioned the first buy strategy. So how is that factoring into your IT capitalization process? 
No, it's, it's an important point because one of the things that we have in the EPMO is before a project is undertaken, we're asking for a business case. Um, and that's one of the ways that we want to make sure that the spin that we take, the money that we utilize, is going to, to provide something that we can track as a core benefit. We've got to be able to understand that for each dollar we spend or any new capital that we leverage, we've got to get the full use of it. We will combine that with what we call a software development life cycle. Which, you know, as I try to explain to people, I said, think about it this way. Software is like a child. You have it and you will pay for it for the rest of its life. <laughs> so, you know, you, you've got to understand that. You know, you don't bring it here and think that it's leaving at 18. They don't do that anymore. Software actually should leave at 18 years. That's very old software. But in some cases, most people won't let you pull it out of their grabbly hands um, before they let you take their software. But the fact is you need to figure out a life cycle. You need to tie that with your strategic sourcing concept, which says, based on that life cycle, when are we going to buy certain things? When are we going to look to change technologies? And those things are all happening at, the, at, frankly, being fed into the beginning of our EPMO process. So that rather than have ourselves make decisions on the back end of a decision, we're making them at the beginning and we're asking the right questions at the beginning and we're ensuring that that capital spend is going toward the right thing. Because at the end of the day, you only have so many hours in a day. Um, dollars are finite, people are prime, finite, and so is time. And so we want to make sure that that combination is leading to the best outcomes possible. The other way to do that is to instantiate solid project management discipline within yes, each one. So I, I like to talk about, I like to make it like two-fold question. One is, what are you doing to do that in the VA? And the other thing is, connected to making a project run well mm-hmm. and be successful, it's communicating yes. uh, enterprise-wide of its success and what the needs are. Could you tell us how you're giving the project management a lift and then the com- enterprise communication too? Sure. The, well, the Enterprise uh, Portfolio Management Office, or EPMO, meant, maintains all the project and program managers for the organization. The idea is that we will build a competency in ex- of excellence for program and project management, that this is the group that will manage and lead these projects. Um, all groups will work with them to do that. And this is actually in line with the Fatera Law. Um, which we are fully leveraging, which allows the CIO really to be engaged with making those decisions and working with the project managers to get the most done with what we're given. It is really critical, and I always tell people I'm nothing but a um, mature project program manager. I I think at the end of the day, that's what leaders really are. You know, you're figuring out how to get the resources, you're figuring out how to leverage time, and you're figuring out how to balance what is finite. And um, there is no infinite set of anything. So how do I use what I have best to get what I can? And I want the most from it. So program project management is core. Um, We're offering now a lot of training to our employee set. I think that's really important. You can't just tell people, oh, change. (laughs) Um, you got to offer them some help. You know, you got to say, you know, let's look at your personal development plan. And I am requiring personal development plans for all employees. Um, Those plans are being leveraged by our training organization to decide on what courses we offer. So the courses aren't just there and say, 
<laughs> hope you find one that works for you. The idea is that we actually look and see what people really need to achieve their goals and expectations for their careers. And we're making sure that those solutions are there for them to take. Um, and I think that's really important. You've got to match it. You can't just get to say the right thing because it's the right thing. Oh, yeah, we support training. But then you look and there's nothing that works for you. Um, and, and I'm real proud that the the, the leader of that team is really taking on to the strategy and really ensuring that, you know, for all of our employees, we look at those plans, get the training in place, and give them the time to train. Uh, but one of the first things that I asked each leader about was their training budget. I don't think you can ask people to do more or to learn more and not be willing to understand that you also have them have them commit to growth. Um, that is core and is necessary in IT. And so, you know, I, I continue to say, what are our folks doing? Are they getting there at least 40 hours in a year in trainings? And, and frankly, it should be more. Uh, there's plenty of opportunity, and I want us to take it. How is VA changing the way it does business? We will ask its chief information officer, Laverne Council, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. What has the Federal Communications Commission done to transform its IT infrastructure? How has the FCC Chief Information Officer cultivated a network of change agents? What is the FCC doing to cultivate a culture of risk-taking and experimentation? Join host Michael J. Keegan as he explores these questions and so much more with Dr. David Bray, Chief Information Officer of the Federal Communications Commission, next week on the Business of Government Hour. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Laverne Council, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Also joining us from IBM is Nicole Gartner. The Veterans Integrated Systems Technology Architecture, VISTA, um, is, your, uh, is VA's electronic health record. And it's, it's a robust uh, capabilities, but particularly known for its clinical applications. So I'd be remiss in not touching the subject. And what is the VISTA Evolution Project? Perhaps you could highlight some of the key accomplishments. And then could you tell us what, uh, why pivot the step back? What was that about? Mm-hmm. The, the, the whole VISTA evolution and what we call now VISTA 4 was really focused on adding a number of key capabilities for the clinician as well as creating a true interoperable capability with the DOD. Um, we actually are interoperable with the DOD. Um, we signed the letter in April uh, showing that we are what we call our JLV process, which is our joint legacy viewer, and it allows you to see the DOD information on the, on the uh, veteran as, lo- as well as the um, VHA information on the veteran. So now that um, when, when a doc pulls up the file, you can see everything that has to do with that veteran and what might have happened or what tests were done before and what was done when they're in active duty. Um, we have we, we expected to have something like 35,000 users. We are well over that in the hundreds of thousands of users um, already this year on the JLB. And we also find that our benefits organization is leveraging as well as our health organization because it helps 
with um, the whole compensation and pension question if a, if a veteran has a disability. So clearly, it's, it's more than made up of what it needs to do. But the ultimate step is what we're calling our Electronic Health Management Program, or EHEMP. And EHEMP is really the true electronic capability of this interface, and it will connect directly in with uh, DOD's DIMSUM database, uh, which gives us real-time um, alignment and interoperability. And we will see EM 2.0 coming live in August and starting that beginning of that rollout. So that's what the whole VISTA evolution was around and about. Uh, I think many people, you know, say, well, we're taking a step back. The fact is, Dr. Shokin and I, as we came in, there was a lot of question about why didn't you get VA go with the DOD and, you know, and go on, on one instance of EHR, and frankly, because we weren't here, we couldn't answer that question as as eloquently or as detailed as we would have liked. So what we had the team do was to pull together a business case to educate us on where VISTA was, where VISTA is, and what is the prognosis for the future. As we looked at that, a couple of things became evident, and one of those is that VISTA was a revolutionary, first-of-its-kind electronic health record. Um, it is a clinical marvel for how, as an EHR, it ties to the clinical record. However, it's a 40-year-old system. And a 40-year-old system is expensive to maintain. It can be difficult to upgrade. And first and foremost, needs to work for that veteran. And so what can we do with it? How fast can we move with it? Drove us to an understanding that we probably need to think about the new new. And what the new new is for us is an electronic digital health platform because that's really where it goes. It's not just the EHR anymore. You know, the EHR is like the heartbeat, you know. You need it. You need it for the, the body to live. But we all know just the heart is not all the things that you need. And so with our digital health platform, uh, the objective is that we would have a true interface to the veteran and utilizing state-of-the-art technology based on HL7, which is an international consortium of, of standards of how software is developed, allowing us to use fast, interoperable resources. And the best way I can explain it to a person that's not working in healthcare is think about it when you go to the app store and you buy uh, something for your Android phone or something for your Apple phone. All those applications are created on a platform, Apple iOS platform or the Android platform, and it allows innovation. Well, we will be leveraging in this digital platform the same level of innovation using what's called FHIR, F-H-I-R, <laughs> which is Fast Health Interoperable Resources. We look at this as creating a true platform of opportunity for people who have those great ideas to innovate, allow that process to come in, leverage it, use it, 
and then use it on behalf of the veteran. That would allow us uh, faster interfaces into the community, a better understanding of how we can do some scheduling and different capabilities needed to the veteran, but also move healthcare into an innovative state into a pl- an innovative platform where people know, you know, if I build this using this fire capability, you know, th- that it can be picked up. That's really how innovation has occurred in, on our smartphones, how our smartphones got so smart. <laughs> and so we're looking to support and drive smart healthcare. And, and the digital platform is the way that we're laying it out. Uh, Dr. Shokin and his team right now are reviewing the white paper that was written more from a technical point of view of how we see this working to see if this is something that clinicians and the docs within VHA really will support and understand, but also to give us feedback on what are the things they think they would like to see if it's not there um, and any core requirements they might have. But we're, we're excited that we could even offer this. And again, it wasn't on the plan <laughs> for, for 18 months, <laughs> but it was definitely the right thing to do. And Dr. Shokin has been an exemplary partner in working through this. Wow. That, I, the, you just named so many different initiatives connected with Vista Evolution, the Joint Legacy Reviewer, the platform. So so in that context and in the context of the overall um, the Veterans Health Information Exchange Program, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing in terms of bringing it all to fruition in such a short time? You know, the, the biggest thing, and, and it's an interesting one for me because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a change agent. There's no question about it. <laughs> um, and you always want to bring people with you. You know, you don't want to bring them. You don't want them running away from you. You don't want them saying, oh, she must be out of her mind. They got to come with you. I'm proud to say that um, the leaders that have sort of unearthed and said, I got it. We're going with it. Um, they're the big drivers of this. You know, they're the ones that are standing up the EPMOs or redesigning our field operations so that we could be much more connected to the veteran or deciding, you know, how we want to handle some of the things as it relates to our life cycles. So, you know, I have to count on the leadership. I have to, regardless of if I know them all personally, I have to expect that they're aligned to the mission the same way I am. Um, And that expectation drives energy, right? And I think people know that doing the right thing for the veteran is only right thing. And, And I think that's helped a lot. But are we doing more and probably achieving more and faster than most people thought? No doubt. And I think what that shows is, one, the real heart of the organization the capability of the OINT employee and our partners, and and also our willingness to understand why change is important and be willing to trust ourselves that we can drive it. When you look back on something, you say, okay, I'm going to put it out here, see what happens. Um, will they go? You know, will I, will I be running down the street and I look behind me and I'm the only one running down the street? Or will there be a pack of people with me? And, and I'm proud to say there's been a pack. And, um, and all comers are invited, and, and it's all on behalf of the veteran. And I think we all know we're doing it for the right reasons, but people are working hard, and, um, and they're also working smart, and that's the most important. 
What are the characteristics of a successful chief information officer? We will ask Laverne Council, CIO at VA, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. From forging a unity of effort in homeland security, to strategizing today how to feel the U.S. Army of tomorrow, to pursuing affordable housing, eliminating fraud, waste, and abuse in healthcare, and securing cyberspace, the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition, I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. The purpose is not to offer a definitive solution to many of the management challenges facing government executives, but to provide a resource from which to draw practical, actionable recommendations on how best to confront these issues. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. We bring you insights and interviews from government executives who are changing the way government does business. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Laverne Council, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Also joining us from IBM is Nicole Gartner. Laverne, given the critical role information technology plays in mission and program delivery, uh, would you give us a sense of how the role of the Chief Information Officer has evolved and what are, are the key characteristics of a successful CIO? Yeah. You know, the CIO role, I I think, in the last 20 years has changed a lot. Um, Many people, as you looked at them, um, the CIO used to be the person that understood what happened in a data center. Um, And they were the techie, and they can tell you all the bits and bytes and how much email you moved, and and that's how you saw them. Um, Over the years, and especially in private industry, but also in the agencies with the CIOs I've met, you're now seeing a a different kind of business leader, generally someone who might have had a great deal of business experience as well as technical experience, because you have to bring both to bear. It's really important, as I sit with the Dr. Shulkin or Danny Pomo, who heads of our VBA area, um, or Ron Walters, who heads up our NCA area, that I really understand their processes and what they're trying to do. And I'm not talking to them about technology. I'm talking to them about their objectives um, and ensuring that their objectives are understood at the leadership level and then can be translated into technology. So the CIO really has to not only understand their business, but understands everybody else's. It basically requires a lot of intellectual curiosity. If you're not that kind of person, this is not the job for you because things change. And they change regardless of you wanting it to change or not. Um, The Internet of Things, the things that connect to the Internet that just to three years ago, no one would have thought about, you know, the ability of you to to manage and control things on your cell phone and see things in your home or see things half a world away um, was never even thought about. The CIO needs to understand that and they need to understand the impact and the opportunity. So they can't just be risk adverse. They also have to be creative at the same time. 
And and so it is a tough job. I will tell anybody that um, it is not for the, the weak at heart or those people that don't want to work real hard because you never know what's going to pop up and you've got to be prepared and you've got to be able to select and trust leaders that could also be prepared and that have the same hunger you do. So it is um, it's an interesting world. You know, I will tell anyone, and I, I generally have said this, you know, I, I prepped myself to be a great COO, and that's an operating officer. But at the end of the day, technology surrounded everything that I ever had to do and ever had to know in the last 30 years. And um, I think everyone should aspire to be a CIO. That's a great way to um, to talk about it. Um, just coming back a little bit to how you and you just sort of went there in terms of how do you measure success? What does success look like for you, and how are you uh, permeating that down into the organization? It, it's an interesting conversation because as I think about. Over the various of them, over the many years, oh gosh, I, I feel old sometimes when I think about it. Um, but but thinking about not only the role but the impact, and where is the impact? Is the impact on just new technology, or is the impact truly on people? And I will tell you, it's on people. The technology becomes a key part of a legacy. But the people change, the ability to motivate one more day, the ability to get people to think about what they do differently and to want to step out into an area they might not know. That is, is to me, the art of it all. And a technology and deploying a technology is one thing, but getting people to want to use it and to use it properly and to use it to change an environment and use it to make a veteran's experience better or even their work experience better is an emotional thing. It is a it goes beyond just intellect to spirit, you know, and how do you give people understanding that as you think about your technology and your phone and and the things that you use that you now cannot live without. That's what technology has become. It is personal. And so I think having that understanding and be willing to sort of shed a little bit and share a little bit of yourself for a role that generally attracts introverts um, is an interesting opportunity. I think we can call you the chief inspirational officer. <laughs> you have to be. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> um, what, what emerging technologies hold the most promise for improving federal IT? And, and more importantly, what advice would you give the next administration in this area? Well, you know, everyone is talking about cloud and cloud technology. And I remind people, cloud technology has been around for a lot of years um, and being utilized in, in, in private industry for a number of years, primarily uh, to, to take the burden off of the, the hardware and the amount of physical aspiration as data has totally grown and grown at exponential levels that no one even anticipated. The cloud allows you to really leverage and share 
an environment versus creating your own. And and so it, it offers the, the best promise for a level of redundancy, um, a level of expansion, um, and a willingness to try things, and then if they're not work, move them away. I think also the second key area is virtualization, which has also been around a long time, but we have a real opportunity to leverage it very differently, use it very differently. Um, As we talk about the digital platform, which is um, the concept is based on software as a service, is based on a cloud platform, Um, it allows you to use things called thin clients, which are not necessarily computers with everything loaded on them. Why? Because then you can actually move the data to the user's need. Based on who this user is, you know their profile. Well, guess what? Then they can, you can show it to them the way that they want to see it. They can have um, the information the way they like to see it. To me, that's exciting. And so being able to have that kind of capability, using virtualization to use some of this hardware differently, and and being able to leverage the cloud is our biggest opportunity. Well, you know, what advice would you give someone, Laverne, who's thinking about a career in public service? I, I would say if you can, you should. This has been a great experience for me. I've I've learned a lot. There is so much that I didn't know, so much that I don't know if I should know. Um, and 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 in the experiences that I've had, to be able to share that with with the team and to be able to bring that to the table, uh, is 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 a critical opportunity that I think every American has. Um, For, you know, in in isolation, anything seems okay, even just doing all private industry or doing all public. But I can tell you there is so much opportunity to transfer knowledge backward and forward and to really leverage and grow as an individual. Um, I I now tell people it's something they should really consider. If you can, you should. Great. That's a great way to end our conversation today. I want to thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule and and joining me and Nicole. But more importantly, Nicole and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it and uh, appreciate this opportunity. It's a privilege. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Laverne Council, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. My co-host today from IBM has been Nicole Gartner. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. What has the Federal Communications Commission done to transform its IT infrastructure? How has the FCC Chief Information Officer cultivated a network of change agents? What is the FCC doing to cultivate a culture of risk-taking and experimentation? Join host Michael J. Keegan as he explores these questions and so much more with Dr. David Bray, Chief Information Officer of the Federal Communications Commission, next week on the Business of Government Hour. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.